Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you here again today, worshiping together. You'll need to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 119, as that's going to be the, the text that we look at today. One of the comforting things about old friends is that uh, they're always there. I don't know if you have any old friends, um, but it seems that if they're good old friends, you're always able to pick right up wherever you left off, no matter how long you've been apart. Do you have friends like that? Uh, I know that I do. One of my uh, college roommates is a friend like that. Even when separated by many miles and even years, it seems like when we get back together, just we begin right up where we left off. And uh, he's always there, ready to encourage, to support, to give guidance and help whenever I ask for it. And it's wonderful to have old friends like that. I think Psalm 19 fits into an old friend category. This psalm that we're studying, Psalm 119, is, is an old friend. We started the study of Psalm 119 three years ago. We've taken a couple breaks from Psalm 119, just like you need a break from old friends at times. Um, we've taken a break from Psalm 119 and studied James, and then we went back to Psalm 119 and uh, got reacquainted with the psalm and, and then took a break again and studied the, that wonderful letter to the Philippians. Um, but now we're back again here in Psalm 119, and it feels good to be back in the company of an old friend. As I said, we, we just completed our sermon series on um, the letter to the Philippians. It took us 10 months to get through that. Um, and we began Psalm 119, like I said, three years ago. And having studied James and Philippians, now we're ready to dive back in and hopefully complete, Lord willing, our study of Psalm 119 sometime in the middle of 2021. Now, I want to I uh, mention something to you that I think is important, and that is this. The continuity between James, Philippians, and Psalm 119 is impressive. And the interesting thing is, it's not just the continuity between those three. All of Scripture seems to be in that category, it seems to be connected, you know, supported by, you know, in continuous in terms of thought and emphasis. And so we, we have this beautiful connection between James, Philippians, and Psalm 119, and, and it's not by mistake, it's by design, by our Creator's design, by our Savior's design, who has given us this Word. That's one of the magnificent truths of God's Word, is that it never conflicts with or contradicts itself. You're never going to find something in one letter or book that contradicts some point in another letter or book. Even though this Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years and had over 40 authors, it seems to be in agreement on everything. That itself demonstrates some important things about this book, the Bible. It demonstrates that we have an authentic copy of the Word of God. It demonstrates that there is a unity in the thoughts of God towards us, His people. It, it authenticates the divine origin of the scriptures. It gives us confidence that what we have here in front of us is in fact the word of God. I hope that encourages your heart. As we think back over what James' focus was of that, of that small letter, 
we remember that it was an encouragement that there be agreement between what we say we believe and, and then how we live. Do you remember that? We all can say all sorts of things, but real, what really matters is the fact that we live the way we say we believe. And it seems that Psalm 119 addresses this very thing, an authentic relationship with God. It comes up repeatedly in Psalm 119, as if there is a continuity between James and Psalm 119. And then Philippians, you remember what that book was about, that letter, this idea of joyful gospel partnership. We just finished that study last week. I'm certain you remember that. But it, it, it as well reflects a, a, a continuity, a unity with some of the main points of Psalm 119. How to know God, how to relate to him, how to make much of him, how to receive joy from him. Very similar sounding to Philippians. I guess my point is that there is a seamless connection between Psalm 119, Philippians, James, and I want to submit all of Scripture. Wherever we go, we will find symmetry and agreement in the Scriptures. That's a blessing and encouragement to those of us who may struggle at times with different doubts. Like I said, my goal is to finish Psalm 119 sometime in the middle of next year. Um, and then start a new series, but my focus will be here for the next uh, immediate future, verses 129 through 176, through the end of the chapter of Psalm 119. I hope you'll make it a priority to be here as often as you can. This is a wonderful study, and today what I want to do is basically give you five points to help reconnect you to our old friend, Psalm 119. And if you're new to the church and weren't with us when we took on the first two-thirds of this chapter, then this is a, an introduction to a new and good friend, Psalm 119. So I'm going to catch everybody up, reintroduce those of you who are familiar, and then in a couple weeks we'll dive into the pay stanza. But for now, let's start by remembering why Psalm 119 is such a good friend. All right, first of all, the significant content of Psalm 119. This is why we love Psalm 119. It isn't shallow, it's deep. There's significance to this. There's weight to this psalm. The reason we choose any friends that we have are because of the character of, the, of these people that we call friends. This particular uh, chapter, Psalm 119, has character. There is substance, significant content, which is why we love it, which is why we call it an old friend. The reason I initially chose to preach Psalm 119 is because it establishes the importance of God's word in the life of a believer. If there's anything that a believer needs, if there's anything that a believer needs in her, his or her life, it is the conviction that the scripture are God's word given to us to encourage, exhort, guide, challenge, confront, build up, bring peace, give assurance. These are God's words to us. We need that conviction. If we lose that conviction, we lose the importance of pouring the word of God over us. And when you cease doing that, you find yourself in some uh, deep and dark water. Psalm 119 really is a kind of a owner's manual to a relationship with God. 
You know how much we appreciate owner's manuals when you can't figure something out. You go to the owner's manual. Well, Psalm 119 really is an owner's manual, or at least a table of contents to the Word of God. Concerning the importance of the Word of God, Sun Valley Church has a simple strategy, very simple. Uh, it doesn't take a weekend retreat to learn the purpose or strategy of Sun Valley Church. It's real simple. You can remember this right now. The strategy of Sun Valley Church, the purpose of Sun Valley Church, is to get the Word of God into your heart. That's our strategy. Pretty simple, right? Can you remember it? All right, good. I, I knew you could. We don't have nifty, complicated, trendy purpose statements and strategies. We have one strategy. Get this book into your brain. That's it. And then we trust God and pray like mad that the Holy Spirit takes that information, applies it to your heart, and then, and then transforms you by the content of that word into the person of the word, Jesus Christ. The word of God will transform you into the image of the author of this book. So if you want to grow spiritually, you must be saturated with the word of God. If you haven't been able to recognize spiritual growth in your life, you might want to step back and ask yourself, how saturated have you been with the word of God or not been? If you want to become like Jesus, don't you think it might be a good idea to submerse yourself in the words of Jesus? If you want to have a strong faith, you must have an intimate knowledge of the words of our faith found in Scripture. This extraordinary chapter in Psalm 119 here is an impressive argument for the importance of the Word of God in our lives on a daily basis. It lays out succinctly, logically, powerfully the necessity of regular saturation in the life of a believer with the Word of God. So if, if you want to discover why the Word of God is so important, read Psalm 119. It explains it clearly, as I just said. The next thing I think that you ought to hear in reconnecting with your old friends, Psalm 119, is the symmetric beauty of Psalm 119. Those of you who have been here, I'm sure you remember these things. The, the symmetric beauty is one of the most attractive things about Psalm 119. For those of you who have yet to study this psalm with us, listen to these things. It is, if nothing else, impressive. Look at the synonyms. <clears throat> All but four verses out of the 176 contained in Psalm 119, all but four speak directly about the Word of God. The Word of God is referenced in all 172 out of the 176. The Word of God uses, or the author uses eight synonyms about the Word of God, or helps you understand the, what is significant or nuanced about the Word of God by using these eight synonyms. Let me give them to you. The law of God is used 25 times, 25 times. The word of God is used 24 times. The ordinances and judgments of God is used 23 times. The testimonies, these are all synonyms, mind you. The testimonies of God is used 23 times. The commandments, 22. Decrees or statutes are used 21 times. Precepts of God, 21 times. Promises of God 19 times, way or path of God six times. Each synonym is nuanced to highlight a different facet of God's word. 
So if I were to tell you the commandment of God says such and such, you would think of the word of God in, that, in those terms. But if I were to say the promises of God say such and such, you would think about the word of God differently, wouldn't you? And so the author of Psalm 119 uses all these synonyms to, to turn the diamond, if you will, so that you can see a different facet of the word of God, a different nuance of the word of God. This is the synonyms. Now let's look at the structure. Talk about symmetry, impressive symmetry. The structure of this psalm is mind-boggling. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm, which means that each of the 22 stanzas in this psalm correspond to the 22 characters of the Hebrew alphabet, starting with Aleph and ending with Ta. Do you, do you remember hearing Tyler read the title of each stanza? If you go back, he said, Aleph, blessed are those who are blameless. Next stanza, Bet, can a young man keep his way? Gimel, deal bounty. Each stanza is titled by the letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 of them. It's an acrostic psalm. If you're going to be memorizing Psalm 119 in the Hebrew language in which it was written, and you were able to speak and understand Hebrew, that would simplify the memorization process, wouldn't it? It gets better. <laughs> Listen to this. Each verse in each stanza begins with the Hebrew letter that that stanza is titled with. So every sentence in the first stanza, the first eight verses, the Aleph stanza, every sentence in that stanza begins with Aleph. Further help if you're going to memorize this, this great chapter. And then the second stanza, every sentence begins with Beth, and then Gimel, and then Daleph, subsequently through all the entire 22 stanzas. So if you can remember your alphabet, you'll have a good chance of remembering this psalm. And it goes further. Look at your, look at, I hope your copy is open. Turn to the ninth verse, for example. Each verse in every stanza that begins with the Hebrew letter named after that stanza is helpful. It gets better, like I said. The sequence of these eight verses, remember each stanza has eight verses. The sequence of these eight verses also provides a memory aid. Most verses in each stanza corresponds to the content of every other verse in that stanza order. So, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word, is related in some way or another to the content of the first sentence of every single stanza. So, if you can't remember how the first sentence of, let's say, stanza, or yeah, stanza wa, verse starts in verse 41, you can't remember how it begins. Well, you know it begins with a wa, and it, the content of that verse is similar to the hey, the gimel, the daleth stanzas. It gives you hints as to what this whole stanza or this verse is about. You can remember, if you're a Hebrew, you can remember because of the amazing symmetry of this psalm. Unfortunately, most of us don't speak or read Hebrew. 
We've got to deal with this in English. So we've got, on, we've got some challenges in front of us. But I bring up the idea of the symmetry to impress upon you of the order and unity of this particular chapter and the beauty of it. <laughs> in other words, you can quickly see that this psalm was not the result of some shallow musings under an oak tree on some breezy summer afternoon. This particular chapter took some serious thought to make all this come together so beautifully as it does. The symmetry of this psalm, if nothing else, is impressive. The third thing I want you to see as I reintroduce you to our old friend Psalm 119 are the striking qualities of Psalm 119. And not just of Psalm 119, but the striking qualities of all of Scripture that Psalm 119 identifies. All right? Let me share with you the first one, delight. Do you remember that? How often the Psalm, Psalm 119, spoke of delight? The delight that comes to those who will find themselves in the Word of God? It speaks of it often. Starting in verse 14. Turn there and look with me at verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. So if a lot of money were important to you, delighting in God's word would surpass that kind of delight. That's something to think about, isn't it? Well, look at verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So right there in the second stanza, this major theme of delighting in God's word surfaces, giving you a hint that this is what this psalm is going to be about. This is what you can expect in your life if you will, in fact, saturate your mind and heart with the word of God. Delight. Now, an interesting thing here about these, these words are important. In verse 14, that word delight has the idea of festive joy a kind of delight that you might experience at a wedding, right? Festive, joyful delight. In verse 16, it's a different Hebrew word, but has the same sense of delight. In English, it says delight, verse 14, delight in verse 17. But in Hebrew, in verse 14, it's talking about a joyful, uh, festive kind of delight. But in verse 16, the delight spoken of in that verse is more of a relaxed and quiet delight, that kind of delight that you might experience sitting on the beach watching the sun go down, or the kind of delight you might experience sitting in front of a warm fireplace with a cup of hot cocoa and a good book. Two different kinds of delight, but both delightful, right? This is what's promised us if we will saturate our minds with the word of God. Delight across the spectrum is available to us. The scripture being, brings delight of all kinds to those who will spend time here. Let me ask you this. Do you have enough of delight? If I were to ask you that seriously, would you say, yeah, I've got enough of that. Yeah, I'm not interested in any more delight. I'm just about full of delight. No, same question. I, could you use more happiness? No one would say, no, I got enough of that. No, 
we, we all can use delight and more of it. God's promise is that those who will spend time taking in and marinating their minds and hearts with the word of God will find the spectrum of delight. And it doesn't come outside of the word. You're not going to find this kind of delight like, say, in a yoga class or mountain climbing. That's different. This kind of delight is promised from your intake of the word. So delight is this amazing quality that we see surface immediately here in Psalm 119. <clears throat> More significant than delight, than delight, though, is this quality of love. This is even more profound and substantial in this particular chapter, love. This psalm reveals that those who love God's word, listen, those who love God's word are actually those who love God, love people, and love life. Those who love God's word, this psalm says, actually love God himself, actually love others, and actually love life. All starting with your love for God's word. This is, I think, really important. The writer's longing, look at verse 20. The writer's longing, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules. Then look at verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts, your righteousness in my life, or your righteousness gives me life. That's the longing that we see coming out of the writer's heart. And he experiences this longing with pleasurable appetite. If you look at verse 103, how sweet are your words to me, sweeter than honey is to my mouth. So that longing comes in the form of pleasurable appetite and an urgent, or urgent uh, gasping. Look at verse 131. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. You see the writer's longing there. You see how he experiences that longing in sweet honey to the taste and an urgent gasping for God. And that's the point. In verse 131 it says, all that, my, my passion uh, for God, my passion for this pleasurable appetite and urgent gasping is not for the word necessarily, but for the God of the word. We're not, we're not gasping to read more and more of this word, except that this word leads to God himself. I hope you see the distinction there. Look at verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. That's the objective here, is that we as Christians seek the God of the word. We don't make an idol out of this book. And that is a danger, by the way, for Christians. But our commitment to Scripture here at Sun Valley Church isn't so much about the Scriptures, but about the God of the Scriptures. Our study, meditation, teaching of the Bible is for the purpose of connecting you to God, not making an idol out of this. But the reality is we can't get to God in any other way. This is the path. It's the only means. Another quality that we see surface in Psalm 119 is the quality of awe. Awe, A-W-E. Verse 161 says this, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. 
Princes may persecute me without cause. People in authority may persecute you for no reason whatsoever. But in the midst of all that, the author says, my heart stands in awe of you. The greatness of God supersedes all the negative noise that we encounter on a daily basis. In the world where everything has become mundane, it seems, everything has become gray, it seems, we need some awe sprinkled in to keep us from going insane from boredom. We need our spirits stirred with something profound, something inviting, something real. And we're told from the author of Psalm 119 that that comes from knowing God, from reading of him and his word. You know that the Bible tells us that the voice of God created the universe, right? From the, vo- from the sound of his voice, the, cre- the creation happened. Let there be light. And what happened? Light. All right, this is what God can do with his voice. He controls the orbits of planets and stars with his voice. He shatters the trees of Lebanon. He makes the earth quake. He commands the wind and the rain, controls the weather patterns with his voice. He, Jesus, that's why he could get up in the boat and say to the raging wind and, and crashing waves, Peace, be still. And it was quiet. Why? Because God controls stuff like that with his voice. And when Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Lazarus came forth. Lazarus didn't have a choice. Come forth. When Jesus says to your soul, come to me, what do you do? You come, right? You come. The voice of God controls these things. And what do we have here in the scriptures? But the written copy of God's voice. Now, let me share one other thing that I think is important. It says that the voice of God establishes kings and presidents. Do you think that matters to us on November 3rd? The voice of God controls who is going to win on Tuesday, November 3rd. That doesn't mean you shouldn't vote, doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. You should do both very seriously and fervently. But ultimately, God will put his man in that position to accomplish his purpose and to bring you and me joy. And so we can rejoice honestly no matter who wins on Tuesday the third, because God establishes kings and presidents with his voice. That is comforting to me. I don't know about you, but it's comforting to me. I'm going to vote, and I've been praying about it for a long time, not about who to vote for, but praying about the outcome. And I hope a certain person wins, but I am okay no matter who wins. Because God is the one who establishes presidents and kings. So, friends, is there any doubt why the voice of God brings delight, love, and awe to us? We have a great and powerful God, don't we? And we find his words written here for us to take in, accessible to us 
Imagine not having these things. Not, imagine being someplace, owning some language, where a copy of this is not available. Would that affect you? Oh my. This psalm speaks often of the commandments, the commandments of God, referring as a synonym to the word of God. But in verse 45, we read this, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. A lot of times when we hear the word commandment, right, or precepts, or things like that, it brings on a negative connotation, kind of a restrictive feeling. God's commandment is this. And we go, ooh, oh, all right. We feel a, kind of a sense of restriction, kind of a, a narrow place to be. But verse 45 says, the precepts of God, the commandments of God, put me in a wide place. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. This is amazing. This speaks of, this is the first of one of the superb benefits of Psalm 119 to go to four, point four. Freedom. It tells us that God's word is a source of freedom in our lives. Not narrowness. Not restriction. A wide place. Instead of being shackled with the fetters of legalism, fear, and sin, God's word grants freedom from those things. What a superb benefit to finding ourselves in the word of God. Freedom. Don't you prefer that over restriction? We all do. Yeah. Freedom is not the common feeling, though, that we get from interacting with words like command, is it? But this psalm speaks of freedom with the word of God. This gives latitude for us as we walk with Christ in contrast to what many think that the Christian life is all about. But we walk in the sphere of freedom. Our freedom is found within God's precepts, not escaped from them. So many say that the Christian life is about do's and don'ts, and you've got to do this and not do that. You've got to stay in this little box or else. Right? You've heard that? Well, but... Here we read, verse 45 at least, that there's a wide place to walk, a lot of latitude. I've tried to explain it like this. We are like a train running on the tracks of God's word, all right? The, the train has complete freedom to go as fast or slow, to go on any track that it finds as long as it stays on the track. The minute the train leaves the track and tries to go cross-country, it gets into trouble, right? It's never good to see a train off its tracks. In the Christian life, it's very similar. We have freedom to travel fast or slow as we want, left or right, as long as we're on the tracks, as long as we don't get off the tracks. We're fine. We're free. Is a train free to run? Yes, it's free, but not off the tracks. See... Many skeptics suggest that we Christians are under a weight of restriction in the Christian life. This restriction and rules steal joy and fun from life. But the genuine believer is the freest being on the planet, Psalm 119 says. 
And there's two aspects to this freedom. In case this is a little bit unclear to you still, how is it that you can be free if you have to stay on the tracks? Wouldn't it be more fun to like go cross country if you were a train? Well, it might, you might try it and see how fun it is. But let me try to explain to you how we have freedom. There's two aspects of this freedom that I want you to see from Psalm 119. The first is found in verse 133. Look at it with me. Verse 133 says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. What comes to mind when you hear that something can get dominion over you? Freedom or restriction? What brings this restriction? Sin is what brings restriction. Not God's commands, not God's laws, not his promises. Sin is what brings the restriction. This was Paul's argument in Romans 8, uh, Romans 6 rather. It's the thing that, that makes you a slave is having to sin. Freedom comes from being in Christ. That's what the argument of Psalm 119 is. God's word breaks sin's dominion over us and aligns our lives with his word, with his precepts. That's the freedom spoken of here. Secondly, so that's the first way, the first aspect of freedom. Secondly, according to Psalm 119, God's word brings an encounter with a much greater source of wisdom than that comes to us naturally, right? This is what God's word does. It brings divine wisdom into our thought process. Psalm 119, verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. It's not talking about the physical heart being enlarged. It's talking about the mind. When God broadens my perspective with his wisdom, I can run in your commandments. That doesn't sound restrictive at all, does it? No, there's a freedom there. And that freedom comes with divine wisdom to look at life through God's lenses. Our loving God, who has revealed himself to us in his word, makes our walk through this life on a wide place. You have a lot of latitude in Christ, Christian friend. Although that gate is narrow and the path is straight, it's a wide and free and wonderful path as we pursue Christ on our journey to our eternal home with him. In my Christian life, in my pilgrimage through this world, I want it to be one of freedom in Christ. I want to feel the delight, the love, the awe that this psalm describes will be available if I will just fill my mind and heart with his word. And so I do. So the first benefit of, of a few benefits that I'm going to share with you is freedom. The second benefit is light. How important is light to you when you get up at night to go to the bathroom? Have you ever stubbed your toe on your way to the bathroom? Have you ever gotten into trouble when you don't have a light when you need one? Changing a tire in the dark? Looking for something out in the backyard like keys without a flashlight at night? Light is important to us. Probably one of the most memorable verses in Psalm 119, if not all of Scripture, is verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and what? A light to my path. God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In a dark world, we need light. In confusion, we need clarity. 
God's word provides it. God's word sheds light on our dark path, on our darkened understanding. With the word of God comes clarity. In Plato's cave, some of you have heard of this illustration, but in Plato's cave, uh, Socrates describes a group of people who have been chained to the ground, facing a wall in the cave their entire lives. That's their reality. They're looking at a wall, chained to the ground. The only, only sense of reality is based on a fire that's behind them and things walking in front of the fire that cast a shadow on the wall in front of them. The only thing they know about dogs is that shadow when that dog walks by behind them or that cat or that person. That's a dog, that's a cat, that's a person. That's their whole perception of reality. How limited is that? I would say really limited. That shadow is all they know of what a dog is. But when they turn around and actually look at a dog, things change, right? This is what the Word of God does for us. Without the Word of God, we are chained to the ground, looking at a wall and perceiving things with very limited perspective human perspective, worldly perspective. And what we experience, what we perceive, is limited to what we see on that wall, shadows, until God's word comes along. Divine perspective comes along. We begin to understand who we are. We understand who God is. We understand his holiness and our need and how to be saved and how to walk with Christ what is important, what our priorities ought to be, what ought they not to be, all from this revelation of God into our lives so he releases us from the chains, we can turn and see reality. Other than that, without the word of God, we're stuck with this one-dimensional, maybe two at the best, looking at shadows. What does this tell us about the importance of God's word Oh, friends, it teaches us everything we need to know about God, salvation, the Christian life. I don't want to go through life just hearing about reality and longingly looking at shadows on a wall, wondering what they really mean. Psalm 119 teaches that complete reality comes through the intake and saturation of our lives with God's word. So what does this psalm do? It motivates us to get out of bed a little earlier in the morning so that we can experience for ourselves the refreshment and clarity promised to those who will partake of God's word. Instead of the first thing in your mind is ongoing shadows from the local newspaper or what's online, why not intake a little bit of divine perspective, which is true reality, to start the day. This is what's promised to those who will intake the word. We were created, friends, to experience God in our access to him, our access to reality, to what is important is in his word to us. Genesis to Revelation. Look at Psalm 119, verse 130. It says this, the unfolding of your words gives light. 
The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Verse 130 is why I'm in ministry. Verse 130 is why I study. It's why I preach. It's so I can unfold the meaning of God's word to you so that it makes sense, so that you can apply it, so that you can live by it, so that it will affect your daily lives, so that you will know God, so that you'll love one another. The unfolding, expositing the word of God gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I am in that category. I'm in the simple category. I don't know about you, but I need things unfolded for me a flap at a time. That is what the Word of God does. I want you to be filled with the words of Christ. I want you to know Jesus. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian believers that this was also his passion for ministry, his purpose in ministry. He says, I want you holding fast to the word of life, that is the word of God, the word of Christ, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Friends, that is my prayer, my constant prayer for you and for me as I minister to you at Sun Valley Church. I would not want to look forward to the day that I stand before Christ and have him explain, have, and ask him, he asked me to explain why no one in your church understood the scriptures. I do not want to have that conversation with Jesus, which is why we spend time in the word, digging in as deep as we do to the consternation of some of you, why we spend five years in Romans. For Pete's sake, I can read it in 15 minutes. Well, it's because the depths are unfathomable in these things. These are, this is the mind of Christ that we hold in our hand. It's an infinite mind. It's a well of, of unfathomable depths. And so we spend whatever time it takes to get an understanding into our hearts of what is being said by the author. What is his intention? What does the Holy Spirit want from us, from James, from Hebrews, from Philippians, from Romans, from Psalm 119? So benefit one is freedom. Benefit two, light. We need both of those things. Third benefit is life. Any of you interested in life? I would hope. How can God's word grant life? Well, we know what the scriptures say about our spiritual lives, right? It begins with what? The decree of God, the, the, the word of Christ. Again, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes forth. That's the word of Christ. I think we understand the spiritual life comes through the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of Christ. The reason you come to faith is because you've heard the words of Christ. You've heard what Lazarus heard, come forth. And so you come. Do you remember what John's, I mean, Peter said to Jesus after the multitudes left because they got offended at what Jesus was preaching? He turns to this, the 12 remaining and says, are you going to leave also? Do you remember Peter's awesome response? Where are we going to go? Only you have the what? Words of eternal life. 
So God's word not only gives spiritual life, which is critical to each and every one of us, but according to Jesus and Psalm 119, 144, the word of Christ brings abundant life, full life. Not just spiritual life that, that wakes us up from the dead, but to a life that's full and meaningful, abundant, Jesus said, John 10.10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Look at verse 144 of Psalm 119. Your testimonies are righteous forever, giving me understanding that I may live. Not just exist, but truly live. Look at verse 159 concerning this idea of abundance of life. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Not just existence, but true, abundant living. Would you say that your life right now is abundant? Or are you just existing? Going from paycheck to paycheck, from Sunday to Sunday. Looking forward to the next vacation. Or is your life abundant day to day? Filled with excitement about what God is doing in and through you. Look at verse 50 of Psalm 119. Verse 50. This is my comfort in affliction. When things are going really bad, this is my comfort. That your promise gives me life. Even in affliction. And you thought affliction brought despair. Not so if you're filled with the word. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you give me life. You interested in abundant life? You can't ignore the scripture. You can't wonder why your life isn't abundant if you have ignored the scripture. This isn't rocket science. Or brain science or rocket surgery, whichever one helps you work. The next, stability. Are you one that needs stability? I think you are if you're like me. Look at verse 23 of Psalm 119. Even though princes sit plotting against me, even though the powerful of the land have it out for me, which we feel many times, especially nowadays, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Why? Because there is stability. There is certainty. Everyone needs stability. I think the last seven months has demonstrated everyone's need for stability. We live in unstable times, but we have a certain word of God, a sure word, a Bible that points us to the stable one. So when a believer runs to the scriptures in times of uncertainty, in times of darkness, in times of instability, it is not the same as those who might run to yoga or binge on a TV series or run to alcohol or some other diversion. It's different than that. When we run to the scriptures, we're running by faith. We're actually believing what the promises of God are. If you come, I will give you life. I will give you stability. I will give you freedom. Friends, we believe the promises of God. Fifth and final point to reacquaint you with our old friend, Psalm 119. 
is a short review, which this whole sermon has been, but I, didn't, I couldn't figure out another way to say this for my fifth point. A short review, and it starts there with S, right, short. It's kind of like an acrostic, like Psalm 119. <clears throat> Psalm 119 begins by promising happiness right out of the chute, verses 1 through 3. One through, verses 1 through 3 of the Aleph stanza, the author says, if you'll fill your life with the word of God, you will be happy. You'll be happy. Listen to it. Blessed are those, are you hearing me? Blessed are those, that word blessed, remember we learned, we studied that word for a while. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. That word blessed means happy. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. The psalm begins with a promise of happiness. That, that's the sale point. You want happiness? Here's where you find it. Right there. Each stanza, each verse in each stanza, reminds us of our need for God and his word. These 22 stanzas teach us of how to be happy in God, how to walk faithfully with God, how to trust God, how to learn from him, how to receive love and comfort from him. That's what this whole chapter is about. So my goal in preaching this psalm to you is that you will believe these promises and embrace the truth that we find here that we must be saturated in the word if we expect to grow in our faith and walk faithfully with our Savior. Christ has revealed himself on these pages. How do we know that? Jesus said so. Have you read John 5:39 lately? How about Luke 24? Jesus said the Old Testament was written about him. We can find Jesus here. We can find our Savior here in all the life that he brings, all the joy and fulfillment he brings. The Apostle Paul evidently believed this. When he wrote his second letter to the, to the church in Corinth, he says this in chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces, that's all of you without masks on, we all with unmasked faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Here's what he's saying. When we examine the glory of Christ found on the pages of Scripture, we become like him. Are you interested in becoming like Jesus? That's the goal of your Christian life. That's God's plan, Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You heard that before. Is that your goal? If it is, we must agree with the Apostle Paul. We must agree with Jesus. We must agree with the author of Psalm 119. The only way to get there is to be saturated with the word of Christ. Period. Doesn't come any other way. So look with me at the stanza we'll be entering, not next week, but the week that follows. Next week, Pastor Rick will be preaching to you, but the week that follows, we'll dive into this stanza, the pay stanza, stanza starting in verse 129. 
Look at 129 and 130 with me, just to whet your appetite. You like appetites being wet? Here it is. Your testimonies are wonderful. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's what we have to look forward to. As we reacquaint ourselves with this old friend, Psalm 119, we can look forward to wonderful things, light-giving things, things that bring understanding. Jonathan Edwards wrote about this particular chapter. I know of no part of the Holy Scriptures where the nature and evidences of true and sincere godliness are so fully and largely insisted on and delineated as in the 119th Psalm. Let me tell you something. Since this psalm was written, it has gotten the attention of the world's greatest theologians. Since it was written. We are in good company here studying this. I'm going to end with this prayer from A.W. Tozer as our prayer. This is going to be our concluding prayer. This prayer was written by A.W. Tozer, the great 20th century pastor and theologian. Listen to this and, and make it your own. <clears throat> oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. O oh God, the triune God, I want, to, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. Amen.